Welcome back to SEL Convergence, everyone. Today's conversation has Tom talking to Chris Felton, an educator who believes strongly that learning and achievement is a continuous process, and he does things a little bit differently than you might see in the movies or what you might remember from your time in school. So enjoy the conversation. Tom? Thank you, Mike. I appreciate that introduction. As always, I'm so grateful that you're doing this with us, my friend. We really can't do it without you. Uh, good evening to all of our listeners. I have a wonderful friend here from Central Bucks West High School. This is Tris, Chris Felton. Chris, welcome. Thank you, Tom. I really appreciate you having me uh, having me on the show, and uh, um, I'm certainly looking forward to it and having an opportunity to talk about a topic that I think is extremely important. It is very, very important. Chris, can you give our listeners some perspective on what you do every day? Sure. Uh, I teach social studies at Central Bucks West. I teach American government and economic systems, and I also teach AP psychology. Uh, my classes mostly consist of 11th graders and seniors. Um, I teach at the honors level and the AP level, and also the, um, I guess you would say the academic level as well. So you have quite a diversity of content area. Uh, correct. Uh, particularly with the American government and economic systems, it allows me the opportunity to uh, really bring two courses together. Um, instead of teaching it as a separate economics class and then a separate uh, politics class, you bring them together and it allows for uh, more like synthetic thinking where um, instead of uh, concentrating on isolated topics, we can look at the, the main priority concepts of and really, we, we whittled it down to four main concepts that uh, can be um, applied to really the economics and the politics of it. And it's uh, allowed for us to um, approach the subject more in a uh, kind of a bird's eye view, as opposed to always kind of um, getting caught up in the weeds. I love that idea of a synthesis. I, I often thought that actually many subject areas would benefit from being taught that way. I agree. And in fact, the the, the AP psychology um, also enters into the mix. And in fact, uh, this year, um, I found out that I was only going to be teaching American government economic systems uh, for scheduling purposes. And well, they actually gave me a choice. They said, do you want to teach all the American government economics or do you want to teach all AP psychology? And uh, without hesitation, I thought, well, I want to teach the American government economic systems because I can always throw psychology into it as well. So in a sense, I feel like I, I've, I've now teaching all three subjects into yeah. one, which is, is nice. And, and the kids enjoy it as well, because it's not, it's not always, and we even throw nature into it and just try to bring a lot of different ideas, kind of the, the constructionist approach where, where uh, you're going to hit something that a kid understands and then they can start building off of that. I'm hearing that you're teaching real world, real life every day. I think that's imperative. Uh, the the relevance um, and then the the relevance is something that the kids are going to. Uh, in this day and age, there's just so many things. There's just so many opportunities, so many things they can do um, that if it doesn't it doesn't strike meaning with them, uh, they're going to move on to the next available uh, source of entertainment. I guess you could say. Yeah, yeah, I think you're absolutely correct. So this evening, we we want to dig into this concept of mastery learning. Can you give our listeners a really solid overview uh, when they hear that term? What, what are we really talking about in mastery learning? Okay, so it's 
It's an interesting concept. And so uh, let me start out by saying that um, I don't necessarily teach what I would consider mastery and learning. And, and don't worry, uh, I'm not on the wrong show. Um, I'm okay. talking about mastery and learning. <laughs> and for your listeners' purposes, just so they don't get confused, I will certainly reference it as mastery learning since that's what they're going to be uh, familiar to hearing. But the reason I want to start out by saying I don't necessarily teach a uh, mastery learning per se is I, I refer to it as COLA. And that's Continuous Opportunities for Learning and Achievement. And that started back in 2013. I had a student who was um, really stretching herself to a higher level. And this was a student who, um, for, the, for the beginning of the class, was um, energetic, was involved, engaged, uh, seemed to really, really enjoying the course. And from all my uh, informal assessments, Q&A, looking at the homework, seemed to have a, a pretty good understanding of the material. Um, she did have some uh, challenges. She, she had, uh, you know, she had some, um, learning disabilities, but we were going to make it work. Um, she takes a test and the results were not what neither she nor I wanted to see. Um, and quite frankly, I was very naive about the situation. And I was like, well, I know what I want to do. I really don't know how I want to do it, but I'm going to give this kid another opportunity. But then I thought, literally, I remember standing up in front of the class on the fly, if I give her an opportunity, to give everyone should get an opportunity. And if I if I give everyone an opportunity, some of kids, some of which have scored above a 70, then I'm gonna have to cap it at the highest grade possible. And without knowing it, without realizing it, that's where COLA started. Um, mm. Continuous opportunities for learning and achievement. And what that entails is students, students take, take this class and they go through this material. And when, when, we, when we're ready to take the test, uh, they take the test. And they receive feedback. The test now is just a, simply an indicator. Have you met these objectives? And if the objectives are truly important and yet the kid has not made the, met the objectives, the thought process is, well, let's keep it going. Uh, and so it's not, um, the reason I call it continuous opportunity, the reason I'm resistant about mastery learning or referring to it as mastery learning is I feel that I've come to the point where um, there's a lot of flexibility, a lot of fluidness to this this program, so to speak. And I, I'll use the word, it's unbounded. And, and, and what I mean by that is when we, when we learn things new, uh, and again, my, you know, um, I'll use some words, but I'm not going to get into the, the jargon of like psychology and things like that. I'll just kind of just talk, you know, just naturally. We're, we're very naive when we have new experiences. We don't necessarily know what we don't know. Um, we have, we're, our ignorance is bliss and we play with things. We, we experiment. We're curious, and I think, to, to a degree, I think I was there. Uh, I was, I was experimenting. Um, and then once we start learning things, and really think about it in the classroom setting, we we bind ourselves. We bind ourselves to our ideas. We bind ourselves to other people's ideas, styles, doctrines, um, dogma, rules, um, the the principles of of a concept. Um, now, some people can get past that bounded stage. And if you don't, it's, I think it's perfectly okay. There's a lot of productive citizens who never get past that stage. It's like crystallized intelligence. And there's a lot of people who have a plethora of crystallized intelligence. But if you can get past that stage and you get to what I, what I would call the unbounded stage, where now you can um, take a look at a situation and say, hey, you know what? I'm not, I, I understand the principles of what I'm trying to do. I understand the foundations of what I'm trying to do, but I'm not going to bind myself to any expectations. I'm not going to bind myself to 
any style. I'm gonna, I'm gonna allow myself to be extremely fluid and actually kind of natural once again. But this time, my my naturalness will come from from being fluent in something, not necessarily not necessarily ignorant to it. It allows for greater flexibility in how you approach unfamiliar and unpredictable situations. And I don't think there's anything unfamiliar and unpredictable than you know. Um, any the, the the 85 students that I'm going to get on a day-to-day basis. I don't know exactly what their specific needs are going to be at that present moment. And to allow myself to meet their needs at that present moment, I need to have a fluid approach. The reason I'm apprehensive about using mastery uh, learning is because quite frankly, it really comes down to and I think when it comes to social emotional wellness, I do believe that mastery learning uh, can be pulled in two different directions. When we think about mastery learning, almost from like a, an Abraham Maslow, Carl Rogers, humanistic approach, I mean, what could be wrong? What, what could be more right as a teacher to say, hey, I'm going to give kids an opportunity to continuously grow, uh, not feel that they're defined by a grade, um, to, to really exercise grit and perseverance as they work through some struggles. And then at the end, to have um, you know, a, a, an evaluation that is, that is truly reflective of, of my knowledge that I have gained. I mean, that, that to me, that sounds like it's almost like straight out of the pages of like, you know, Abraham Maslow. Yep. But what we have, though, often is we have situations where um, in the um, in the name of trying to um, how to really apply mastery learning concepts. Um, Benjamin Bloom in 1968 said, hey, you know, how can we do this? And essentially what he was answering is he was answering what he called the two stigma problem. He said, how do we get the benefits? He saw that he, he called it the two stigma problem because he saw that uh, students that had mastery learning and a tutor were always scoring often, uh, often scoring two standard deviations higher on test as compared to the traditional classroom. So the two, two stigma problem was how do we get the benefits of tutoring and mastery learning to a student in a public setting when a classroom teacher is going to have 30 kids in the mm-hmm. classroom? Mm-hmm. And so he came up with um, people who are familiar with mastery learning, the, the bloom, the, the, the learning from mastery to bloom model, where it's a, mm-hmm. a series of objectives, observable for, uh, objectives and standards, uh, teaching often prescribed, and then formative assessment, in which case then there's feedback, and then there's a set of correctives and enrichment for those who have met it, and then you reassess and you continue on that process. The problem, the issue that I have is that that program is still being used today. And here we are 53 years later and and the world of education has changed a lot. And to me, I feel that the best way to approach a kid, uh, a kid's, a student's needs is that, is that flexibility to be fluid in the situation and not bind yourself to a set program that to his credit, Benjamin Bloom said, this is just one alternative of how to approach mastery. But I don't know if it's always um, always kind of demonstrated that way in the current literature. It seems to be that this is the program that they say, this is mastery learning, this is how it's done. And I think that it, it really takes away from that fluidness and it becomes much more behaviorist in nature as mm-hmm. opposed to uh, humanistic. And so that's kind of why I try to avoid the concept of mastery learning. In addition to that, again, Tom, this is just me kind of rambling on. So stop me when you want me to. I'm not even entirely sure that mastery as I see it is even achievable in the classroom. And the reason I make that statement, it's, it's, it's a noble goal. And I think, I think what's much more achievable is getting the kids to start thinking 
in terms of how can I approach a situation where maybe ultimately, if I choose to be, I might end up being a, you know, a master of understanding the subject nature. But the reason I say that is I believe that as you work up well, Bloom's taxonomy now, when you get to the highest levels of creativity, evaluation and creativity, I think that mastery can only be demonstrated in really unpredictable and unfamiliar situations. It's kind of like, I think the person who says it best uh, is actually FDR. When he made the statement, um, you know, uh, smooth seas never made a skilled sailor. And because I think it's just an aspect of unpredictability that we just never know. And I don't think that that can be created in a classroom per se. We can create a lot of great opportunities for kids to show high levels of, uh, you know, analysis and evaluation. But when we talk about, and even, even synthesis, you know, we can create a predictable situation where kids can sit down and say, hey, I can create a situation, create a solution to this. But the unpredictable nature and unfamiliar nature, I think is something that can really truly only be seen in an mm. outside. And the mastery aspect of it then really comes from not even coming up with the right solution because that, that's us, that cannot be guaranteed. But the true mastery comes from the unbounded part where, hey, I'm not sure if I'm going to come up with the right solution. I'm not sure. And I'm not above critique either, but I'm going to be above the fear, the ridicule. And I'm just going to say, hey, here I am. I'm, I'm going to take the situation and I'm going to approach it. I'm going to use my knowledge to come up with a situation that can really be applied that may be unique. But I have the confidence to contribute to it in that fashion. So, Chris, as you're speaking, I'm, I'm writing down at least six different notes. And, and one of the things that resonates very, very strongly with me is the work that you're doing with COLA, Continuous Opportunities for Learning and Achievement, it's very synonymous with social-emotional wellness. Correct. Uh, when you talked about FDR and the choppy seas, well, th that's our life. Uh, particularly right now, it is our life. And then, boy, you throw me back, my friend, when you mentioned Rogers and Maslow, I, I was one of those... <laughs> I was one of those young students in the late 60s and early 70s that got to watch them working with individual clients on reel-to-reel -reel films. Wow. <laughs> so, um, so and, and, and the word I wrote down as you're speaking, relationship. Relationship is absolutely critically important to social-emotional wellness, but speak to us about the importance of the teacher-student relationship in COLA? Well, I think with COLA, it does two things. One, um, I, I, I mean, I have a daughter who's in eighth grade. I have a son who's in fifth grade and I have a little one that's in kindergarten. And, and I've found myself often saying, how would I feel if, 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 if my daughter was in this situation? How would, how would I want a teacher to approach a situation? My daughter didn't do well. She worked hard, but she just didn't, you know, make the grade or whatever. And I would want my teacher, I would want her teachers to continuously work with her. I would mm -hmm. want her to have the opportunity to, to not get frustrated, to, to be able to, to, to go through and, and be able to continuously um, look for method to improve herself um, so that she can ultimately, uh, never mind about the test, take those tools and say, hey, listen, I can, I can take a look. I can, I can stumble. 
I'm not, I'm not, you know, I'm not afraid to fail. I'm not afraid to fail. I'm willing to fail if I can improve myself. Now, this is not talking about not working or gaming the system or taking right, advantage. Right. You know, there are methods, by the way, that, that can be that, that can address that. Believe me, I've done this for eight years. I got all the methods that I that I need to in that sense. But what I'm what I am saying, however, is um, that we have a student who is honestly trying to put their best effort in. What do I want a teacher to do for my daughter? And I want I want my daughter to have that opportunity to 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 to, to improve, to learn it, and 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 really that's going to set the stages for ultimately uh, self improvement moving forward. There's so there's a level of empathy there. I think putting myself not just in the student's shoes, but also maybe perhaps even to a degree the parents of that student's shoes. Mm-hmm. Um, there's another part of it too. It, it's it's very reciprocal as well. Um, I, I've often believed that continuous opportunities for learning achievement sure it's obviously referring to the student but it's actually it's also referring to me as well it's, it gives me that opportunity to continuously improve uh, how I approach um, approach a student how I teach a subject I've, in some cases I feel like I've taught a subject a thousand times I mean they're not big old lessons but they're just different ways to try to to, to get to, to the to the mind of a student. And I think particularly when we're in a situation like a COVID-19 situation, I think that's imperative to be able to say, okay, I I need to be absolutely fluid. What is the best way? So in a way, it's it's given me an opportunity to be the best teacher possible at that present moment. Not, I mean, how many times in the past would I say, oh boy, I'm going to change this task. It'll be better next semester. Or you know what? I think I have a new way of teaching this technique, this this concept. I can't wait to to do it in September. I, I can do it like immediately, and yeah. it provides me that opportunity to myself as well. So there's a reciprocal nature to it as well. So one of the things I love that you're saying right now is you're honing your craft, and and I would imagine that every teacher that is passionate about their work, their content, and their craft would be excited to do this. Yes, and and I think, but and, and and I think, I mean, the teachers who I work with at CB West, I mean, I am, I mean, my only complaint is that my my daughter won't be going to CB West; oh. be going to a different school. But and my kids will be going to a different school. Um, you know, every you know every day I work with uh, amazing professionals. Um, you know, in, in every department, they they astonish me, and um, you know, in, particularly in my social studies department, there's so many different uh, teachers with such a a diverse skill set that it's uh, it's really interesting to um, to hear and, and and to to listen to how they go about things and I think it's 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 great and to me it just it once again it demonstrates you know there's more ways that there's more than one ways to skin a cat um, but yet I think that really gifted skilled professionals sometimes struggle with this because it's well, how, how am I going to do it? And, and it, it's a, it's a, it's a serious, it's a very important question to answer. This is why Ben Bloom wrestled with it. And I think one of the, the ways that I, that I think is often kind of over overlooked is kind of going back to the Bloom's model where that the two sigma problem is not an, it's not, an, it's not actually even an education problem. It's, it's an economic problem. Mm. It's it's a, it's a, it's a it's an allocate. Hey, resources are scarce in energy and time, and I think the Bloom model really talks about a, a reallocation of that time. Maybe, a, but I think that you can push out the resources. You push out the resources by by utilizing things like, um, you know, uh, 
diverse, you know, assessments and maybe, uh, you know, given the, the, the student ownership and, and providing them with opportunities maybe to, to, to do things at home. Uh, an assessment doesn't have to be the, the same choice assessment. It can be a, a short FRQ or even a, a, a mini little uh, activity that they can do at home and submit. We have computer technology um, and in and Central Bucks West, we're doing a thing called Lunch and Learn. Yeah. The, the students have the opportunity to come in during lunch. I think there's a there's a pushing out of resources, the expansion of those resources. And, and again, but I think most of all, and most importantly, it goes back to that creativity that give the teachers the opportunity to be fluid. And I think when you give them the opportunity to be fluid and say, hey, listen, we, we'd like to see mastery learning. We'd like to see you uh, continue working with the student if they maybe haven't passed that test, but we trust you as the gifted professionals that you are. And we want to see, heck, to me, it's it's an exciting opportunity to get to me, like I said, some of the, some of the most gifted people, um, you know, teaching to say, hey, what are the different ways that you want to do this? And we can start sharing these ideas. And before you know it, we have a lot of different ideas, not just one model. So what I just heard, Chris, I heard a, 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 an honoring and empowerment and the offering of choice, both to the educator as well as the student. And, and, and we know from psychology, you teach it, I've taught it, that choice for us human beings is incredibly powerful. When, when you have uh, an internal locus of control, when you, when you feel you can control the situation in the sense that you can make decisions to help not just yourself, but your students, and, and you are, as you said, empowered, um, that's, that's a, you have, you have a, a teacher who's going to set the world on fire. Yeah. When you have a teacher who's, um, and again, I'm not, I'm not saying, suggesting that this is happening. I don't, I don't want to get the, but I think that, that I think when, uh, through my research and reading, I think it can happen. So you, you, you're left by wondering why is this happening? Why, why is something so good sometimes coming across as so poorly? You know, why is it, why is it 53 years later, we're still talking about mastery learning and yet people come across like it's like a new thing because it's not tried too much. And I think mm -hmm. a lot of it has to do with the limitation of resources and that, the, again, to me, the biggest way to, to approach when you have limited scarcity is creativity. Yeah. And that has so, an opportunity to really unleash your creative and innovative ideas. And we have the, we have the staff, we have, we have the teachers, and I'm not just talking about Central Bucks, we have, we have gifted teachers that can really come up with some great ideas. I, I agree. And, and, and they're listening to us right now. One of the things I want you to hone in on is the relationship. You, the teacher, believing and practicing COLA and introducing that to the student to, to, to bring our listeners, bring me into that, that dynamic, into, into you and the, and the student and, and offering uh, this opportunity. So when I, when I first introduced the concept, it's, it's normally in, in, right in the beginning of the course. And um, I explained to them that uh, the grade the grade is um, at this point, if we could not even have to mention grades, I would love that, but we live in a, in a, in a my job is filled with grades. And so we have to acknowledge it. We can de-emphasize the grade and just focus on the learning and, and, and to kind of prove that and say, hey, listen, the grade is not going to be the, the, the primary driving force. Um, we're going to use the grade as simply a measurement, just like a, a, a you know, you know, somebody's the temperature outside, you know, it's going to be an indicator. We don't want to be chasing indicators. We want to be chasing the learning and the learning should be in. And if the learning is there, then, then the indicator should follow with it. If it's an accurate indicator. Uh, with that being said, 
um, we, we kind of take that off the table and I explain to them that, hey, so long as you've you put the, the effort in, and I, that goes back to a guy named John B. Carroll. And he said, hey, part of it is student perseverance. Um, you know, time spent divided by time needed and the time spent, uh, it's, it's opportunities given by the teacher multiplied by student perseverance. Now, the multiplication is pretty important here. It's not plus. If it's plus, then you can just get more time spent by having a lot more work by the teacher with really no need to have anything by the student. But because it's multiplied, if it's zero by the student, then no matter what the teacher does, zero times whatever the number is, is still going to be a zero. Mm-hmm. So perseverance is a huge part of it. So when you say, hey, listen, you're going to put the effort in and you put the effort in, we'll get to a point, And all we're going to do is we're going to take a look at this feedback. and um, and we'll, we'll, we'll work from there and we'll correct some things and, and we'll give you an opportunity to continuously improve yourself. And you can almost feel um, the stress in the room go away because it's no longer such a, a burden anymore. So let's talk about that stress and anxiety. Here we are uh, in year two of a worldwide pandemic. Uh, the, the, the latest news is we have another variant uh, approaching. And we have children and educators all over the nation. Uh, uh, you know, I get a phone call from a different state almost every week. Uh, everybody's stressed. Everybody's anxious. How do we help our educators? How do we help our students? Tell us from your experience, how does COLA help, in fact, if it does, reduce stress and anxiety? Um. Karen Hornet wrote an essay called The Tyranny of the Shoulds. Albert Ellis later talked about shoulds and wants and these, these labels. And, and, and I, I, I truly believe that COLA takes that away a little bit. Um, it, again, mastery learning, if handled correctly, I think can do that. I also think that mastery learning can also put undue pressure on kids. So if a parent's like, well, wait a minute, if the guy's going to give you more opportunities and you better be doing it, then that that's something that needs to be addressed. But I, I do believe that there, there shouldn't be any labels. To this. Like, you don't have to do it. You know, it's just an opportunity for you to, to continuously try to work on this. I do believe that, um, you know, and I tell my students, I said, there's, there's like, as you mentioned, there, there's so much out there. Uh, and, and obviously COVID's front and center, but there, there's other things going on in these students' lives other things going in our society. And, and quite frankly, I think it, to a degree, you have to step back and, and, and humble yourself a little bit. Talking, I'm just talking about myself. I need to humble myself a little bit and say, you know what? I, I really want these kids to learn American government economic systems, but it's not the end of the world. And it's not the end of the world if they don't quite grasp the concept. It's not the end of the world if they don't quite remember that it takes two thirds of the Senate Right to approve a presidential treaty. It, that, that's let's just focus on the, in the on the bigger picture and see if we can get it to apply to their own lives so they can improve themselves. Mm. So that's where then COLA can come, come in because then when we get into COLA, so they say they take a multiple choice test, and if they demonstrated there's, it's not based off it's it's based off the the priority concepts. So now, based off the the the, the number says, hey, you know, it looks like you're still leaving some things on the table when it comes to Priority concept number two. Let me give you an alternative to this. Um, and normally it's in the form of like a, a, a you know, response question uh, that's a little bit shorter. Um, the remediation is normally built in there. Um, and then from there, uh, the students often have it at a pace that, that they can that they can work with it. 
Um, there are checkpoints just because I, I do think that if there's not checkpoints, then then COVID, it, it goes from being continuous opportunities for learning and achievement to a distortion of learning. Mm-hmm. And I don't want to distort the learning process. I want to continue the learning process. So there's mm-hmm. checkpoints. They meet the checkpoints and then they get the feedback. And then, so it, 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 it becomes a very low stress thing. Testing in my class is not intended to be a, there's no need for high stakes. It's, it's mm-hmm. not like, it's not like the Super Bowl. It's more like, uh, it's more like, I don't know, like the Olympics. Kind of, more like a, more like a seven game series or something. Hey, you, okay. So, you, you, okay. Maybe you stumbled on the first game, but we still have, we have still have a series ahead of mm-hmm. us. So I, I want to go back to this idea of stress and anxiety. I want to go back to the idea of high stakes, because if I remember correctly, in your introductory thoughts, you shared with us that you also teach advanced placement. You teach AP, correct? Correct. So tell us how this COLA works with what many people would perceive as a high stakes, high anxiety environment in AP. Okay. So that's actually a great point. I'm glad you glad you asked that. Um, so again, looking at it through COLA and not necessarily a, a, a the, 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 the mastery learning that is maybe provided by say the, the Bloom model, which I could see where that would slow things down quite a bit. But what you allow, what I have, what the, the situation with COLA then it allows for me to do is if we define it as, look, the true summative assessment in this class is we'll say the final exam and your AP test. What it, what it does then, it allows, it, in a kind of a twist of events, it allows for actually us to speed, speed up the curriculum. Because what happens then as, you, as we go through the curriculum and, and we're hitting checkpoints, the students who are grasping the material, they're, they're moving on. So are the students within the class. That's actually an important distinction because I do teach a social, I do teach three classes, the psychology class and the government and, and the economics class that aren't um, successful in unit three and unit four do not, are not basically based on like unit one and two success. So because of that nature of the class that I teach, my format core, I can do it this way. A math class maybe is going to be different, and, and but that's again that goes back down to the flexibility of the gifted math teacher to say, hey, let me adapt this to make this work for my students in this math class. But for my AP Psychology class, students are able to to work at a pretty healthy clip now. Now, okay, I didn't quite grasp this. I don't want to just move on because well, it's going to be on the AP test. Let me go ahead and work on you know as everyone's kind of continuously moving through. Let me also on my own time, lunch and learn, or sometime after school, let me come back and continue work on the things that I didn't quite grasp, you know, days before. And then eventually at some point, um, you know, they'll, they'll, they'll grasp it, hopefully. But it, it's, I, I like to think that, that the, the, the continuous opportunities for learning um, and achievement are going to provide that student with a better opportunity to be prepared um, for that that AP test in May as compared to that, if they had said not grass material, and then we just moved on and didn't look at it again. For me, that goes back to your earlier statement. We're not chasing indicators. We're chasing learning. That's the idea behind it. Yeah. So let's go to another group of students. And as I look at a classroom, 
uh, it's everyone. The idea of differentiation. Correct. Uh, that you know Tomlinson's work, uh, uh, and actually many of my colleagues work in this field of differentiation now. Uh, tell, share with our listeners how that works for you. So when when you're teaching at, at the AP level or at the honors level, um, there still may be need for differentiation, particularly with uh, students who are stressing, you know, stretching themselves to the higher levels, and that's where COLA really sets itself apart. Where you could say, hey, okay, maybe maybe this was, you know, you have to meet the the IEPs and, and, and the specific, uh, you know, SDIs of the IEP, um, regardless if you're doing uh, a mastery program or a COLA. But when you then sit back and say, okay, let's take a look at, at where you struggled. Um, let's, let's go over why you struggled. Let's see if we can present, I can present the same type of concept to you in a different way. It, it truly then, it really lends itself, not, not, not just for students with IPs, but really for any student who, who could maybe take a look at the concept in a different way. And I think that, that the remediation comes in with the different, it, it, you know, when you can differentiate between of various students within that. What's and what's also interesting is it's it's continuous. It's not second chance, so it starts to whittle itself down. So you, maybe we have a, a remediation program and a reassessment that a student still struggles on. Okay, let's come back to it again. But now it's whittled down as other kids have now got to the point where they they feel that they've grasped material. Now you're left with now the, the two or three kids. That, okay, now they really have my undivided attention. Wonderful. But I think that when we get into you know, collective enrichment programs or collective remediation and corrective programs, it, it starts to stray from that a little bit. Um, again, I think that the, the biggest, you know, the, the biggest thing that a, that a teacher can have, once again, I, I know I'm repeating myself, but I think it's just that that's it's that almost important. It also maybe you to a degree, even basic, is the teacher's ability to make decisions, the autonomy to make decisions, to meet the need of the student, the present student at the present time. I love it. So let's let's dig a little bit into social emotional wellness and the explicit connection into COLA. So we begin our five competencies with self-awareness. Let can you connect self-awareness as a as a human competency to the work in COLA? So after you've, you know, as you're going and you're progressing through the, the concepts and, and and now you've taken this test, now say hey, now it's time to say, hey, what what you really need to reflect upon what what you did with your own study habits. What okay? What did I? How did I learn this? You know, um, you know, where, where can I maybe improve my own study habits? Uh, and a lot of that's through just discussion. Um, you know, I know, I know a lot of teachers have uh, certain reflection pieces that they want the students to use uh, when they when they when they do their variation of mastery learning, and there's value there. Um, I find that it's, you know, for me, what, what, what I'll do is often we'll get into the remediation. And then if we, we, we still are stumbling, then we, then we start pinpointing, okay, where, where is this, what, what can I do? What, what can you do? What can we together do to, um, really improve, um, this experience for you? What can we do so we don't have to go through this again? So it seems like a learning, if it's, if it's particularly if it, if it appears that it's a work habit issue. So I hear the, the strong connection to self-reflection, and I'm also starting to hear that movement towards self-management, which is another significant internal skill. Uh, can you speak to that a little bit? Well, I had a student one time that she didn't do well, and then uh, she would do much better on the remediation. 
And uh, I asked her one time, I said, no, what, what, you know, what's going on here? And she said, well, I'm, I'm actually, um, I'm not studying for the test. Mm. And I know at first that might sound like a horrible thing, but we talked about it and I actually, it made me think differently about studying because I don't want, if, if we're talking about studying and continuously and distributing your learning throughout the process, Hey, I'm learning it. I'm, re- I'm reviewing it. I'm reviewing it again. I'm going to review it one more time before the test. Then I'm all for that. But if we're talking about studying as just, hey, I'm just going to try and crunch it all in the night before, I, I'm not interested in that either. Yeah. And so I, I actually appreciated her honesty because she said to, she goes, I'm really trying to see if I actually truly have learned it. Mm. And I, can, I have this ability to experiment with my own learning to see how well I'm retaining things and if I can actually adjust how I, how I approach my day-to-day work, because I know that um, I have opportunities to experiment because I have, I have a little bit of a safety net here. And I was like, you know, I don't, I have no problem with that, you know, and, and, and we'll, we, I can work with you. And, and that, I, that's going to help you understand your own learning better and how you can process. And that's great. Uh, she ended up getting a five on the AP test. Uh, and, and this gave her an opportunity to, to provide some some real meaningful insight to herself yeah. and her, her learning. Now, that's that I don't think every student thinks on that level. Yeah, it's a very uh, insightful young lady. But it does, but it does provide an opportunity. Oh yeah. So our our next two skills then are external skills, self social awareness and relationship skills. Now I know we've we've talked a bit about that, but is there anything you want to add? Yeah, I mean, with the with the social awareness and the understanding, I mean, there's 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 I don't chase them down for cola. They have to be self advocates. They have to recognize they they got to make decisions. They got to say, hey, you know, is this something that I'm going to continuously pursuing, or do I want to? Am I am I satisfied? Can I be satisfied with my performance? And if they're satisfied, then wonderful. But if they're not, then they they got to come to me and we discuss it and. Um, and then that's the reflection. But again, I, I do, I truly believe that the, the biggest value in that when it comes to that is that understanding that, that, you know, that, that learning is not, um, it, it's, 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 it, we're in it together. Yeah. It, it, we're in it together. It's not, uh, it's not a, it's not a back and forth, right? I give you information and you give me something back. Right. We're in it together. Okay. Um, we learn it, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to help you learn it. Um, and hopefully you do in a way, somehow, some way, eventually, if it takes a couple of times to, to be able to come back and then, reflect, then, then show me what you have. And, and if not, then, then we're still in it together. It's not where well, you didn't do well, you're on your own, you know, you know, it's, Hey, let's, let's, what can we do together? And, and I think that understanding that it, that is, there's a, a give and take there. I think is. I, I, I love that piece for me, that strong relational piece not only speaks to mastery learning, for me, it speaks to mastery teaching. So, so bring us then to the, the final component uh, of social emotional wellness, and that's responsible decision-making. And I, I think, you, again, you're, you're making connections there already, but, but bring us explicitly into that. I mean, I, I think the, the obvious uh, connection would certainly be preparation and, and, and putting your, because as I've said to my students, I, I say, look, coal is kind of like, um, it's kind of like, um, like a safety rope if you're climbing a mountain. Um, you don't want to not have one, 
uh, unless you are absolutely positively sure, right? But at the same time, you don't want to you don't want to play with it either. No one no one climbs a mountain just to jump off to see if the safety room works because mm-hmm. because there are times that there's work there, and so you you have to be responsible and you don't want to rely on it. But what it but it also does uh, in terms of uh, making these decisions and making these management decisions is there's also a level of understanding about the costs and benefits of any decision. Mm-hmm. I've always been a big believer that as a, as a, any decision that we make, we recognize the benefits. We recognize the benefits of studying. We recognize the benefits of, of going, uh, you know, doing more, trying to get a higher grade. You know, I understand and that those benefits are seen and people can recognize those pretty quickly. But I think it also is important that, that students recognize the cost of, to things as well. And, and sometimes Sometimes an honest decision might say, hey, listen, you've done a great job. You should be you should be proud of your achievement. Um, no, it's not 100 percent. We don't need to get 100 percent for this. To be something you can be proud of. You can be proud of anything you do. You put your best effort, effort. Let's move on. And let's be honest, because, yeah, sure, you might get additional benefits, but not with additional cost time spent away from other things. And it, that I think that, that that management of understanding that there's a cost, there's a benefit to a lot of things, uh, everything, uh, I think, is important as well. Chris, I, I'm very, very grateful that you spent this time with us tonight. Is there any final word that you want to close out with for our listeners? Um, I understand that, you know, I, I think that there seems to be a push, not just in in some local school districts, but just in school districts around uh, the area where in, in, in the country where, you know, it seems that mastery learning is coming back. And I think it's coming back because uh, I think in many cases there's a, you know, a push to, to make sure that people have these opportunities, um, continuous opportunities in a, in a very unpredictable um really unfamiliar situations that we're in with, with uh, the COVID. I don't think it's a coincidence that this is, this, these have come together in this fashion. Um, I, I would just um, urge um, teachers who, um, teachers who are, uh, who are looking to do mastery learning and, and an administration who is looking to have mastery learning be part of their school culture um, to, to allow um, teachers and students to have the flexibility to apply in their classrooms in a way that best meets their students in that subject matter that that they are professionals in. Chris, thank you so very, very much. Again, for our listeners, we've been speaking with Chris Felton from Central Bucks West High School in Doylestown, Pennsylvania area. Chris, again, thank you so very much. Mike, thanks for producing as always. To our listeners, we can't wait to see you again through this wonderful, wonderful tool we have. Thank you, everyone. Thank you very much.